Chapter Eleven of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. Chapter Eleven. Miss Brotherton pushes her inquiries further. A well-arranged scheme disagreeably defeated. A visit and its consequences. Mary Brotherton certainly did not return home that night with any doubts on her mind respecting the nature of Sir Matthew Dowling's benevolence but the fever of spirits which had seized her was greatly increased by the information she had gained there was a vast deal of energy and strength of purpose in the mind of mary brotherton but hitherto all this had lain latent and inert the sentiment which in ninety-nine cases out of a hundred is the first to awaken the female heart to strong emotion seemed to be totally powerless to her she had never yet felt the slightest approach to the passion of love nor was it very likely she should for one among her many peculiarities of character was the persuasion that every man who paid her attention was in pursuit of her fortune an idea which to such a temper as hers was calculated to act as a sevenfold shield against all amatory attacks upon her heart most truly therefore up to this time had she continued in maiden meditation fancy free but this could be said no longer neither fancy nor any other faculty could be termed free in one whose thoughts fixed themselves by night and day upon one single subject while feeling that to it she was ready to sacrifice everything else in life on re-entering her house on the memorable night of the dowling lodge theatricals miss brotherton retired to her apartment without even the intention of sleeping she laid her head upon her pillow deliberately determined not to close her eyes in sleep till she had made up her mind as to the best way of rescuing the pale trembling child whose voice and form haunted her from the horrible bondage of sir matthew dowling's charity the question was not altogether an easy one she could hardly doubt that very strong indignation would follow any open effort on her part to interfere with a child publicly held up as the favoured object of sir matthew's loudly vaunted benevolence and moreover privately marked out by his vindictive nature as a victim to his hatred whether as a rival in his munificence or a champion against his hate it was pretty certain that her interference would render her obnoxious to her pompous neighbour's displeasure and this she had no inclination to encounter if she could help it for though at this moment she felt within her a strength and firmness of purpose not easily shaken the poor girl knew that she stood alone in the world with no friend to support her more powerful than nurse tremlett and nothing but her two hundred thousand pounds worth of this world's trumpery to enable her to have her way and her will in many matters that she feared might turn out rather difficult to manage so she determined to avoid quarrelling with sir matthew dowling as long as she could and though the image of michael struggling with his tears and the plaintive sound of his voice as he pleaded for leave to labour again absolutely haunted her memory she determined upon being cautious wise and very deliberative in any measures she might eventually take to ensure his release under the influence of these prudential resolutions miss brotherton for the present abandoned her purpose of seeking a conversation with the child himself and determined to find her way to the cottage of his mother instead yet even this she felt must be done with caution her carriage and her liveries were about as splendid and conspicuous as carriage and liveries could be and though she knew not precisely in what direction the widow armstrong might be found it was easy enough to guess that did she make use of her ordinary mode of conveyance in reaching her abode let it be where it might she would attract more attention than she desired it was to mrs tremlett that she determined to apply in this dilemma and at their tete-a-tete breakfast in the following morning she once more led the conversation to the factories you must not scold me dear friend said she 
if you find that i have as i told you i would disobeyed your advice altogether about thinking no more of the factory people for i cannot get them out of my head nurse tremlett i am sorry for it my dear replied the good woman gravely because i am quite sure that you will only vex yourself and do no good you ought to know me better by this time mrs tremlett than to fancy that your manner of speaking on this dark subject is the way to check my curiosity it was pretty effectually awakened perhaps before but had it been otherwise what you say would be quite enough to set me upon inquiring into it nurse tremlett i will know everything that the most persevering inquiry can teach me respecting the people to whose labours all the rich people in this neighbourhood owe their wealth and myself among the rest and when i tell you that at the present moment this is the only subject upon which i feel any real interest i think you are too wise to attempt turning me from it by saying my dear you will only vex yourself i do indeed my child know you too well to fancy that if you have set your mind upon it you will give it up so i have nothing more to say miss mary well then my dear woman replied mary taking her hand if through all the years we have passed together i have shown such a determined spirit for no reason in the world but only to get my own wanton silly will do me the justice to anticipate that i shall not be less obstinate in this one thing that i believe to be right than in all the many wherein it was most likely i suspected myself to be wrong i do believe nurse tremlett that it is my duty to understand this matter better than i do and if this be so i will trust to god to make up to me for all the vexation your prophecy threatens it will bring if that is the way you think of it my dear child heaven forbid that i should seek to hinder you but rich as you are dear mary if you was to give it all and ten thousand times as much besides what good could it do the mills will go on just the same you know i don't want to stop the mills nurse tremlett why should i industry ingenuity science enterprise must of course be all brought into action by this flourishing cotton trade and beyond all doubt it would be equally wicked and wild to wish its destruction that is not the notion i have got hold of good nurse very very far from it i assure you what i want to find out is whether by the nature of things it is impossible to manufacture worsted and cotton wool into articles useful to man without rendering those employed upon it unfit to associate with the rest of their fellow-creatures this seems to me so gross an absurdity that i cannot give faith to it and therefore i suspect that the depravity and wickedness you and miss martha dowling talk about must arise from these people having too much money at their command this perhaps may lead to intemperance and extravagance don't you think this may be the case mrs tremlett good gracious no miss mary why they are all the very poorest starving wretches upon earth but they may be poor because they are extravagant nurse they must get a most monstrous quantity of money for though none of the gentlemen ever talk much of their factories i have repeatedly heard allusion made to the enormous sums paid every week to the workpeople and it is quite clear that all the families must get a great deal because all the little children work which can hardly be the case elsewhere now i cannot help thinking nurse that a great deal of good might be done by teaching them a little economy and inducing them to lay by their superfluous money in a savings bank that is one great reason why i want to get acquainted with the people themselves now for instance that poor sick widow armstrong the mother of the little boy that sir matthew dowling has taken i am quite sure that she can have no wickedness to hurt me and i am determined nurse to go and call upon her 
well my dear that can't do no great harm certainly and if you like it i can go in the carriage with you most certainly i should like you to go with me but not in the carriage mrs tremlett i don't want to have all the people in her neighbourhood staring at me or at her either and that they would be sure to do if we went in the carriage i mean to walk nurse do you know where the woman lives my dear no i must leave you to find that out what is her name miss mary armstrong she is a widow and lives somewhere in ashley let us walk into the garden and while i am looking after my seedlings you can inquire of one of the under-gardeners or the boy and if you manage the matter well the next prime blossom that i get from my experiment bed shall be called the tremlett geranium while this conversation was going on at milford park the residence of miss brotherton dr crockley arrived to enjoy a tete-a-tete breakfast with sir matthew in the study at dowling lodge this room though not so splendid as some of its neighbours under the same roof could nevertheless be made very snug and comfortable upon occasion and an excellent breakfast was spread before them while the two gentlemen sat in judgment upon little michael's contumacy and consulted on the best method of bringing him into better order confound the imp exclaimed sir matthew as he selected his favourite dainties is it not provoking crockley that i should have taken such an aversion to him upon my soul i never hated anything so much in my life in the first place it is disgusting to see him dressed up walking about the house like a tame monkey when i know that his long fingers might be piercing thousands of threads for two shillings a week and it is neither more nor less than loathsome to see him eat at luncheon sometimes when we have him in before company exactly the very same things that my children eat themselves and then upon the back of it all to know that the ungrateful little viper hates the very sight of me i don't believe crockley that any good can come of all this equal to what it makes me suffer in the doing it is perfectly unnatural to see him close within an inch of my own legs i'd rather have a tame toad crawling about by half i must give it up crockley i must upon my soul you are the master sir matthew i can't stop you if do it you will but i can tell you this i have been calling at fifty different houses at the very least since this job began and i pledged you my sacred honour that in every one of them the only thing talked of was your benevolence and generosity such an example cried one so heavenly minded said another it is enough to bring a blessing upon the whole country whined a third and it is to be hoped that such goodness will be rewarded in this world and the next observed a fourth think sir matthew how all this will tell against the grumblings about miss nance stevens and her sudden demise that's true devilish true crockley and yet it's no cure for my being sick at the stomach every time i see him i don't know about that i should think it was or at any rate if you'll only bear it a little longer i should not be at all surprised if you were to be relieved by some other great capitalist setting up in the same way and as your name has been sung out that would do just as well upon my soul i'm in earnest i should not the least wonder if before the end of three months every one of your first rates were to have a tame factory child in their houses to act like the hedgehogs we get to eat black beetles for us and they do their work well too sir matthew all the nasty creeping multiplying plagues in the shape of evil tales against the factory system would be swallowed up by the clearing-off effects of these nice little hedgehog gentry 
you are as keen as your own lancet crockley and i never turn a deaf ear to anything you say but it's monstrous hard though that i can't walk about my own house without running the risk of seeing this odious little grub by the way crockley why could not my lady take a factory girl in by way of charity some of the little wenches are sightly enough before they have worked down their flesh too far and though i can't say i am particularly tender over the lanky idiot-looking slatterns that we mostly get at the mill i'll bet what you please that i should never hate the sight of a girl as i do the sight of this boy very likely not sir matthew replied the doctor laughing immoderately but what would my lady say and what would all the other ladies say no no leave that alone and make up your mind to let the boy have the run of the house for a month or two after which you may send him to the devil if you will for the good will be done and the boy himself forgotten that's all vastly easy for you to lay down chapter and verse wise man that you are replied the knight but if i tell all i can let you into a secret crockley that would make you change your mind perhaps the long and short of it is that i can't keep my hands off him and if the young black-hearted scamp i know he is black-hearted i'm quite sure of it on account of a look he has got with his eyes that makes one always feel so uncomfortable if he were to take it into his vile ungrateful head to go about the country telling everything that i may have happened to say and do to him when his nasty ways have pushed me further than i could bear i don't think the history of the charity job would do much good doctor dr crockley gave a long low whistle and then after a minute's meditation said that's a bore i know it is sharply responded his patron a devilish bore but you don't suppose that i am to stand bursting with rage and not take the liberty of speaking my mind to a factory grub do you heaven forbid a whole factory full of wenches may all drop down dead i hope before it comes to that replied his friend but what you have stated is worth attention sir matthew i don't like the notion of that child's having tales to tell it spoils all i know it returned the vexed knight martha told me just now not ten minutes before you came that miss brotherton said she should like very much to talk to the boy she is as sharp as a needle you know and i'll answer for it would find out all he has got to tell and a devilish deal more perhaps in no time pretty work that would make would it not augustus is sure of her he tells me and just fancy such a match as that spoiled by the forked tongue of this little viper the very notion makes one mad a cure must be found for that mischief let it cost what it may replied crockley and for the future it might be better perhaps for your charity sir matthew to show itself some other way you are too honest-hearted that's the fact a fine bold intellect like yours can't descend to the paltry patience belonging to inferior minds is there no getting rid of the boy no possibility of sending him prentice somewhere or other prentice said sir matthew looking with a very singular expression into the face of his friend prentice he repeated and stretching out his hand he seized upon that of dr crockley which he shook with extraordinary ardour send him as apprentice upon my soul crockley if you have laid down five hundred pounds upon the table i should not have considered it as of one half as much worth as that one word prentice yes by jove he shall be apprentice oaf that i was for not thinking of it before you don't know half the good you have done me by that word 
"'Tis but lately, my dear fellow, that you and I have come to understand one another thoroughly, and I have never yet talked to you about one or two points particularly interesting to all our capitalists. I never mentioned to you, did I, the Deep Valley Mills, not far from Appledown Cross in Derbyshire? Never, Sir Matthew, as far as I can recollect, was the reply. Well, then, I will tell you something about them now, that will make you perceive plainly enough what a capital good hit you have made in talking of apprenticeship for my young darling. Deep Valley Mill, Crockley, is the property of my excellent friend, Elgood Sharpton. He is one of the men born to the making of this country. A fine, manly, doubtless character, who would scorn to give up his notions before any act of parliament that ever was made. His idea is, Crockley, and I should like to see the man who would venture to tell me that it was not a glorious one. His idea is, that if we could get rid of our cursed corn laws, the whole of British dominions would soon be turned into one noble collection of workshops. I wish you could hear him talk. Upon my soul, it's the finest thing I know. He says that if his system is carried out into full action, as I trust it will be one of these days, all the grass left in England will be the parks and paddocks of the capitalists. Sharpton will prove to you as clearly as that two and two make four, that the best thing for the country would be to scour it from end to end of those confounded idle drones, the landed gentry. They must go sooner or later, he says, if the corn laws are done away with. Then down goes the price of bread, and down goes the operative's wages. And what will stop us then, doctor? Don't you see? Isn't it plain as the nose on your face that when the agricultural interest is fairly drummed out of the field, the day's our own? Who shall we have then spying after us to find out how many hours a day we choose to make our hands work? Do you see, Crockley? If we choose to work the vitals out of them, who shall say we shan't? I never heard a finer, clearer line of argument in my life, Sir Matthew, replied the attentive listener. That man, that Elgood Sharpton, seems born for a legislator. But I question not that when you two get together you act like flint and steel upon one another. Is not that the case? Pretty much, I believe, replied Sir Matthew. And I promise you, Crockley, I give no bad proof of my confidence in your honour and friendship by letting you into a few of our notions, for matters are by no means quite ripe for us to speak out as yet. Our policy is, you must know, to give out that it is the operatives who are clamouring for the repeal of the corn laws, whereas many among them, saucy rogues, are as deep as their betters and know perfectly well, and be hanged to them, that our only reason for trying to make down with the corn laws, the popular cry is, that we may whisper in their ears, down with the wages afterwards. Aye, doctor, if we can but manage this, England will become the paradise of manufactures, the great workshop of the world. When strangers climb our chalk cliffs to get a peep at us, they shall see, land at what point they will, the glowing fires that keep our engines going, illuminating the land from one extremity of the island to the other. Then think how we shall suck in, that is, we the capitalists, my man. Think how we shall suck in gold, 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 from all sides. The idea is perfectly magnificent. The fat Flemings must give up all hopes of ever getting their financial flax to vie with our cotton again. Crockley. But here Sir Matthew paused for a moment, as if half doubtful whether he should go on. 
the confidential impulse within him however worked so strongly in favour of the friendly smiling physician that all reserve gave way and winking his eye at him with a truly comic expression he proceeded crockley they don't understand spinning in flanders they don't know yet how many baby sinews must be dragged and drawn out to mix as it were with the thread before the work can be made to answer no no we have fairly given master fleming the go-by in his own trade so for the future he must just be pleased to go on hand digging and sowing every inch of his dung muxen till it teems with corn for exportation that's what he's fit for whereas science has put us rather in advance of all that my good doctor our friends in poland too shall plough away to the same tune and russia from end to end will become one huge granary at our service where will your aristocratic landholders be then crockley perhaps you can't tell but i suspect i can they'll just be in the factories sir your manners and your preserves we can get game enough from abroad your manners and your preserves will be covered with factories except just here and there you know where we capitalists may have taken a fancy to my lord this thing's grounds or the duke of t'other thing's mansion for our own residences and this i maintain is just as it should be and the reason why is plain we have got before all the world in machinery and so all the world must be content to walk behind us by jove if i had my way crockley i'd turn france and the rhine into a wine cellar russia into a corn bin and america glorious america north south east and west into a cotton plantation then should we not flourish then should we not bring down the rascals to work at our own prices and be thankful too what's to stop us trust me there is not a finer humbug going than just making the country believe that the operatives are rampant for the repeal of the corn laws it is a treat to hear you sir matthew i should be at a loss to name any man that i thought your equal in the gift of eloquence but nevertheless we must not forget business we must not forget master michael armstrong sir matthew no no my good friend we will not forget him be patient for a moment and i will make you understand how my friend elgood sharpton and my darling protege have been mixed up in my mind together sharpton's factory at deep valley is one of the most perfect institutions i take it that the ingenuity of man ever produced it is perfect sir just perfect in the first place it is built in a wild desolate spot where the chances are about ten thousand to one against any of the travelling torments who take upon themselves to meddle and make about what does not concern them it is a hundred thousand to one against their ever catching sight of it you never saw such a place in your life crockley tis such a hole that i don't believe the sunshine was ever known to get to the bottom of it it was made on purpose you may depend upon it well sir sharpton who whatever he undertakes is sure to get over the ground faster than any other man for he never lets anything stop him sharpton felt quite convinced you see that the only way to carry on the work to any good purpose was to undersell and how was this to be done without loss instead of gain that's a question i promise you that has puzzled many a man that was no fool but egad it did not puzzle him he knew well enough that it was not the material that came cheap enough nor yet the machinery though heaven knows that's dear enough but tis the labour sir the damnation wages going on 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 for evermore that drains the money away 
and what then does he do but hit at once upon the very perfectest scheme that ever entered a man's head to lessen that ruinous burden he knew well enough for he has a most unaccountable deal of general information that there were lots of parishes in england that didn't know what on earth to do with their pauper brats there's many you know that say this one thing this nasty filthy excess of pauper population is the very mischief that is eating up the country and destroying our prosperity but who's the greatest political economist crockley the man who talks of the evil or he who sets about finding a remedy the political economists of the nineteenth century ought to erect a statue to l good sharpton and so they will i have no doubt when the subject comes to be more perfectly understood for just mark what he has done first he finds out this capital spot for the job and builds a factory there next he either goes himself or sends agents good capable understanding men to all the parishes that he finds are overburdened with poor then sir he enters philosophically into the subject with the parish authorities but of course with proper discretion and proves to them that in no way could they do their duty by the parish children particularly the orphans or those whose parents don't trouble them so well as by apprenticing them to a good trade here sir matthew paused and a merry glance was exchanged between him and his companion well crockley it is a good trade you know a devilish good trade isn't it at any rate i promise you that so many parishes felt convinced of it that l good sharpton has soon got deep valley factory as full of young hands as it could cram now it is since that you must know that old sir robert took it into his head that little children must not be overworked he it was i believe that first set up that nonsensical cry to any purpose and to be sure nothing ever was so absurd in a country where everybody knows that if the young pauper spawn could be made to die off everything would go on well it is not strange now that old peel could not be contented to grow rich and hold his tongue but no he got bit by some poisonous humanity notion or other and a devilish shake he gave to the system just at first by his absurd bill for the protection of infant paupers but such men as sharpton are not to be knocked down like ninepins either by lawmakers or law and to say the truth old sir robert peel's bill was to all intents and purposes a dead letter within two years after it was passed bless your soul it was the easiest thing in the world to keep the creatures so ignorant about the bill after the first talk was over that they might have been made to believe anything and to submit to anything in fact the question for them always lies in an eggshell they must either do what the masters would have them or starve that fact is worth all the bills that ever were passed and another thing is that as long as there's nothing to prevent our own friends and relations from being among the magistrates even if complaints are made we can manage them how true it is sir matthew that there is no inequality of accidental condition than can equal the inequality produced by a decided superiority in the intellectual powers said dr crockley at this moment i give you my sacred honour that i look upon you and your friend mr elgood sharpton also as standing in a much more commanding position than any duke in the country what's a long descent compared to a long head sir matthew i'll tell you what the difference is a long descent pretty generally helps a man to empty his purse whereas a long head will never fail to help him fill it it is as clear to me as that the sun's in heaven sir matthew that the game is in your own hands i know 
for i have made some curious experiments that way i know what a dog may be taught to do by hunger and you may rely upon it that it is just as powerful in a man egad sir matthew it is a very fine subject for scientific experiments it is difficult to say how far it might go if a dog for example may be taught tricks by hunger that approach in ingenuity to the powers of man why may not man skilfully acted upon by the same principle be brought to rival the docility of a dog i see nothing in nature to stop it doctor replied sir matthew with an air of great animation but remember my dear crockley this is not a point to be touched upon in the book we were talking of the public you know can have nothing on earth to do with the private regulation of our affairs people have just as much right to inquire at what o'clock my lord duke expects his valet to get up and moreover what the valet eats for breakfast when he is up as they have to know what hours our hired labourers keep and what they feed upon it is a gross inquisitorial interference crockley and ought not to be thought of in a free country that's a first-rate idea though sir matthew said the doctor taking out his pocket-book and pencil i must book that it is turning the parliament into an office of the inquisition the canters may call it a holy office if they will but the british people will never bear the notion of an inquisition that's a capital idea i promise you as to my parallel you know between a dog and a man it is merely between ourselves or such an out-and-out friend as mr sharpton and it may be worth thinking about perhaps practically and scientifically i mean but certainly i should never dream of printing it a hundred years hence human intelligence may have reached such a point of improvement that the plain good sense and practical utility of the idea may make it properly appreciated but as yet we are not sufficiently advanced in the science emphatically denominated the positive in contradistinction to the ideal it will come though if we do but go on in the path we are in but we are generalizing too much sir matthew nevertheless i suspect i have caught your idea you have thoughts of sending your young favourite to deep valley mill by way of putting the finishing stroke to your benevolent projects in his favour exactly so my dear friend but we must have indentures observe and there is some little difficulty in that i suppose you know best sir matthew else i should say that indentures cannot be necessary from your description the locality of this factory with its romantic name must be like the valley of rasselas at least in one particular namely that without wings the happy dwellers there would find it impossible to escape replied the doctor difficult exceedingly difficult certainly but not quite impossible for without indentures a runaway could not be legally pursued and to tell you the truth friend carkley i should not much approve giving a subject for a second part of mr osmond norval's drama in which the hero should appear upon the scene after a few months residence in deep valley mills that's true but i don't see under what pretence you are to get the brad apprentice to your friend sharpton remarked the cautious counsellor if he is apprenticed to me it will do just as well replied the knight for i could make over the indentures to sharpton easy enough but it strikes me i might have some difficulty in making the mother consent to it not if you will be upon your p's and q's sir knight said his friend you have nothing to do but go on sending tidbits to the sick woman and the rickety boy that you mentioned and when they have got a little used to it she'll not choose to affront her generous benefactor remember the dog theory sir matthew they are all alike i dare say you are right 
but at any rate i had better keep out of that hateful brat's way or rather take care that he keeps out of mine but i shall bear the sight of him better if i make up my mind to send him to deep valley that will wipe out old scores between us having said this sir matthew rose from the breakfast-table seeming thereby to indicate that the consultation was at an end dr crockley rose too but though he took up his hat and his riding-whip from the chair on which he had placed them he lingered as if he had still something to say before he took his leave sir matthew however seemed to take no notice of the hint but stretching out his hand said decisively good morning doctor good morning let us see you again soon dr crockley upon this stretched out his hand too but instead of clutching that of the knight he seized upon his button one word sir matthew one word you are too much of a man of business to think me troublesome respecting that little appointment that you were talking about the other day i should like to have it settled because to say the truth i shall consider myself as wearing your livery or to speak more fitly to be fighting positively under your colours when this is done and of course you know we ought to understand one another completely no doubt of it crockley i said nothing that i do not mean to stand to you shall have two hundred a year paid quarterly for attending to the health and well-being and all that you know of the factory children but as i don't want you to give them two hundred pounds worth of physic remember i shall expect that you will make up the deficiency in in just saying round about the neighbourhood how remarkably well everything goes on at brookford factory i'll pledge you my word that everything does go on capitally well there crockley so you will have nothing on your conscience on that score i am not afraid of that sir matthew i know i may trust you but i should like a bit of memorandum about my own business if you please quite right quite right sir i am too much a man of business to object to that draw up the engagement just as you wish it to be and i dare say i shall make no objection to signing it after this a cordial handshaking was exchanged and the friends parted End of chapter eleven